Steve? Yes. Hey, how's it going, brother? I'm well, thank you. And yourself, Coach? Good, good, good. All things good over here. Okay, that's great to hear. Well, we're recording already, so let's dive right into this. Perfect. First, first thing I'd like you to do is uh, introduce yourself and the school you're representing and the, the division. Whoop. Yep, school, introduce myself and the school I'm representing. You cut off there at the end. Yeah, the, introduce your name, the school, and the division of soccer you, you uh, coach in. Perfect. Um, so my name is Nick Rizzo. I'm the head women's soccer coach at Monmouth College in Illinois, and we are an NCAA Division Three institution. D3, okay. What what uh, conference are you playing in? So we play in the Midwest Conference. So it has two teams from Iowa, four teams from Illinois, and four teams from Wisconsin currently. Um, okay, gotcha. Uh, what we want to do today is we want to talk about what's going on with recruiting in this age of uh, coronavirus pandemics. Yeah. First off, what uh, – what what are the basic elements for you as a D three coach that haven't changed? What's what? How do you how do you like or how how are you successful in the recruiting process? What are the key steps? Yeah, so I mean, like initially, just to talk about it in general, um, I'd say like the basic elements of D three recruiting are one initial contact, two I would say the actual recruiting process where there's interest from both parties, and then. Three, getting down to that final decision both on both ends, whether this person is a great fit for our program and someone we could see coming in and helping us in both in and out of the classroom and, or in, in and out of the field, in the classroom, and then them figuring out if we're the right institution for them. And so I would say those are the three basic elements. And kind of like through that first part, the initial elements, I would say like just through the initial contact process, like seeing them at showcases, seeing them at ID camps, websites. Uh, letters of rec from their coaches, and sometimes even they initially reach out to us as uh, as programs. And so I would say like that's kind of, and there's more, but that's, I would say the basic elements of the initial contact period. And then the recruitment process, it, I think it goes different for everyone and the timeline for everyone is very different. Some people start in their freshman year, some people start later in high school. But for us, typically as a D3 school, we typically start the recruitment of our classes about halfway through their junior year, maybe a little bit before, but definitely about halfway through their junior. And our, so the recruitment process will typically take place over the, a year and a half before they get to us. And that involves coming for visits, uh, typically coming to our ID camp and then getting them to campus, doing overnights with the players, sitting in on classes so they can kind of see, especially with D3, where there's a lot of elements that are going to impact your life as a student athlete more than just soccer in terms of none of most of our players aren't going to go on to play professionally. So they need to make sure there's the right fit major wise and things like that. So I think it's a lot of them doing their homework on whether this school or another school will provide them the best chance to be successful once they graduate from that institution. You mentioned that it generally starts about a year and a half out. That would imply that, uh, you're coaching during the fall, so you're not seeing as much of the club soccer as you might like. But then it heats up as you get out for the high school game. Yes. Illinois, Wisconsin, and Missouri all play in the spring, although I guess Iowa is a fall sport for the girls, right? You know, Iowa spring for the girls. Oh, it is the spring. Okay. Yep. So that, that, that fits for you. And even Indiana, if you're going east then, right? 
Yeah, I honestly, I don't know about Indiana. That one might be the one that might be fall, to be honest. Okay. But uh, so that means, generally speaking, the uh, your opportunity to see them play is, is going to happen during their junior year of their high school season. Yeah, yeah, definitely a lot of it. I think the nice thing about it, it for most of us as college coaches, there's a few events that kind of kickstart right after our season that's like kind of getting to the latter half of their club. It's one of them is like they, they have a few events that are like right around like the Southern States in November and early December that we, we can get to and see them a little bit in club right before high school. And then Illinois and a few of the other States around like do like some final club events in January and February, which are almost just individual ID events for their club and their players. So we're able to see a little bit of them there. But yeah, you're 100% right. I think a lot of our initial recruitment of student athletes does start going into their high school season, which is obviously being definitely affected right now. The uh, the initial contact that you identified, it, what, what's your what's your sense? Is that happening where the the girls will reach out to you and the school or that uh, say a coach on their behalf or because what, what are the rules in terms of contact? The at that nice, point, yeah, I guess, is the other yeah no, that's a great question. The nice thing about division three is we definitely have a lot more lax rules than division two or division one do. We, we can start contacting them as soon as they get to high school and contacting them pretty much in any way possible other than like face-to-face stuff. So similar to um, division one, division two, our face-to-face contact starts their junior year. Um, but we can start, like, if I have a, if I see a player at an event and I really like them as a freshman, we don't typically do this because it's so long to recruit a freshman, but we could reach out to them. We could text them. We could email them. We could call them. And like, if they called us and we missed the call, we could call them right back, which obviously division one, division twos wouldn't be able to do. I would say the breakdown of the initial contact, I would say for us, and I think this is differs depending on how good or how prestigious your program is for us. I would say it's probably 90% of us reaching out to players that we see 5% of them are players reaching out to us. And then the other five is like you mentioned recs from coaches or other people. Maybe there's like a graduate of our school that said, Hey, there's a family friend that has a daughter. That's really good at soccer. Here's, here's her stuff. If you'd be interested. And so I would say it probably breaks down to that, but 90% of the initial contact I think is going to come from me to them it, it, with a school like ours. I think if you go to like, a wash you. I, I imagine Jimmy down there is probably getting a lot of people that are very interested in him. And he still has to do a lot of work and going out and seeing everyone and doing all that. But I imagine they probably get more initial interest towards them than maybe a school like we do. Gotcha. What, uh, given, given the lack of a high school season this year, what, what, what's the impact of the uh, pandemic been for you on your recruiting and on the players that you've been in contact with? What, yeah, I mean, number one, I think it's it, it's a difficult time because all of them are so disappointed. And so when you're talking to recruits in, in the pool that we're currently working with, whether we started seeing them uh, over the winter or even started like maybe through like a website, like an NCSA or a Be Recruited or field level, we we have contact with players and talking to them right now. I'd say the most difficult element of everything is trying to be trying to talk to them about soccer without bringing up a really bad like current feeling that they have about soccer because there's not a single player out there in any of the States that you mentioned that isn't dying to be 
out on the field with their friends, especially like uh, the ones that we have coming in as freshmen next year, like talking to them, they're all so disappointed because their season, it, it was essentially taken away from them, like a lot of the college athletes. And so I would say that's a difficult process right now. I would say the other thing that's really difficult is we aren't going to get to see them play. So the evaluation process is going to be vastly affected. And I feel like we we're probably lucky because we don't have as much evaluation processes, maybe like a division one or a division two or really high level division three would have to go through. But that's definitely something that is being affected. We're going to have kids coming to hopefully if it's approved by then, like we have an ID camp in August that we might have kids coming to that, that we've only maybe seen once before would typically they're players that we'd seen hopefully two or three times by the time it got to that point. And so I think the evaluation process is getting vastly affected in a negative way. But one thing that I think is being really affected in a positive way is it's easier than ever for us to get a hold of people. I mean, they're, they're all home bored, sick of talking to their parents, like want someone else to talk to. And so for me, it's really nice. I can schedule a call at like 11 o'clock in the morning and have a good, a good talk with a recruit. Whereas when they're in school or they're doing things like that, they wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to get a hold of them that time. And so I think it shortens our day to be honest as coaches, because we don't have to work a full day and then start talking to recruits from five to 10 o'clock at night. We can get a lot of that stuff done during the day. So it might've made like our sleep schedules in life a little bit easier to take a positive out of it. Did the NCAA make any specific changes to recruiting for the for division three? No. Um, again, because we're, we don't have dead periods. Um, we weren't affected by that at all. Um, really all the changes have not really necessarily been with recruits, but been with the communication that we could have with our own players. And, and just like, we can actually like reach out to them and talk to them about soccer during this period, which normally during this type of off season, we wouldn't be able to do that other than our month, spring season and so it's made it a little bit more flexible in terms of what we can do with our own players but nothing that I know of and I feel like I have a pretty good grasp of it has changed in the recruiting aspects um it because because there's no games going on I think there would probably be some more restrictions at the division three level um similar to a dead period if there were games going on in what we could go watch and play but because they're everything is shut down I don't think they've made it a priority to shut us down and, and institute a dead period on us as well. Gotcha. I'm a, I'm a bit of a skeptic in terms of the opportunity people are going to have to get back and play. For I'm fairly confident that the high school season is done. I do know that Arkansas, for example, just canceled school through the rest of the oh, year wow. today. Uh, yeah. As an example, uh, within my region of coverage, what, uh, what type of recommendations would you have for some of the seniors that you've been talking to or that might be interested in exploring your program at this point? How, how should they go? About yeah. I mean, this? number one is like reach out. I mean, there's, there was a school that closed around us recently, McMurray and their coaches are doing a really good job of trying to find homes for their players. And so we've gotten a few emails. I know a lot of other coaches have gotten emails and reaching out and they, they're very specific to us. And I, so I think that would be a, a very good way to do it. The thing I'm constantly asking for from these kids, we carry a pretty big roster. And so we definitely don't need every kid that reaches out to us. So I keep telling kids, make sure you have film available. Um, and whether that's a high school game, a club game, 
like anything that you can get a hold of. Most of the time, you can at least find one thing that was filmed at some point. Have film available because, unfortunately, I don't think a lot of coaches are in the position to accept kids with no idea of what they are as a player, how they how they can compete, and and how they would be able to affect your team on the field. And so that would be my number one recommendation: is make sure if you're reaching out to coaches, have something that you can provide them with outside of a resume, whether it's film things like that, because we're not going to be able to see games. So we have a lot of time to watch games right now on film. And so that's one of the things, especially from the juniors I've been recruiting, I've been just been requesting full games if they had them, like, and a lot of them have been able to send huddle links and things like that, because more than ever right now, I have a ton of time during the day to, to watch those games and really evaluate players. And so for them, that's be my number one thing is in, and hopefully someone at some point, whether it's your sophomore or junior or senior year, your coach, was able to film. And if not, like, there's ways to work around it. So I don't want those kids to get discouraged if they don't have any access to film, but if it is possible, definitely try to ha- get access to any of your film. And for the coaches out there, anyone that's listening to this, please try to help your players out to get that as much as possible because we we're we're trying right now. And I know a lot of people still aren't done with their 2020 classes. And so it's now more than ever, we need collaboration with high school and club coaches to, fill the classes and make sure we're getting the right fits and also that the players are finding the right fit for them and really talk to your players as well. Gotcha. Do you, uh, on the film topic, I've, when parents ask me for advice, quite frankly, the the feedback I've gotten in the past that I've offered in the past, uh, based upon conversation with college coaches has been rather than go out and spend the money with one of these recruiting services, to go to an ID camp, spend the money instead on a camp where you can visit the environment, see what the environment's like. There's always coaches from multiple schools at those camps, so they uh, they have a chance to interact with the player, et cetera. Oh, sorry. That's sorry, the mailman just came. <laughs> not, a, not a problem. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I, I definitely agree with you. Um, I think that – yeah, we're all stuck at home right now. Let me one second. I'm going to try to go to a place where it hears a little less. <laughs> no, you're good, John. Um, one second. Um, but, yeah, so I would say I've been agreeing with you. I think the, the key, and I'm sure you've told people this as well, is finding ID camps that fit your interest in schools and fit your skill level as well. And so having people that are going to be honest to a kid where it's like, I work division one ID camps and they're a great experience, but you have to know what you're getting going into them. Know that like there, if you're not one of the best of the best at that camp, like you're, it's probably not going to be a fit for you. And so finding schools that really fit your skill level combined with your interest in the school is really important because there's ID camps that you go, like you said, I, I don't know what the film service, I remember what it was like when I was a player and some of them are like, I don't know, two grand for, the breakdown and the access to their, their database. And so if you can find five schools that you really would be interested in and attend their ID camps, I mean, our ID camps, I think like 40 bucks if you, and like, especially at the division three level, I think like the most expensive I've ever seen is like a hundred. Like you could, you go to 10 ID camps, 12 ID camps for the price that you would get to break down a film and get, like you said, the best bang for your buck. You'd be exposed to coaches, get to interact with them, see if you like their coaching style, see if you get along with the other recruits. Cause sometimes there's kids that go to those events and they see the players that are working the camp or they see the other recruits that the coach is looking at. Like, man, that's, 
that's just not my, that's not my fit. That's not the, the vibe that I really want in a school. And in the other realm, sometimes they go there and they're like, man, these kids are all awesome. I want them all to be my best friends for the next four years. And it turns into a really good fit. And so, yeah, I'm definitely an, a big ID camp advocate because I, and I, you know, I, I'm not going to discourage any of the services because we definitely are using them right now, but it, for each individual recruiter, if you can identify programs that you're interested in, it's like, it's one of those things that you're going to get the most bang for your buck. And again, if you have, if you have your own film, like it's not hard to just say like, Hey coach, I'm number 34 or I'm number nine. And like, like make sure you have the right color in. And we, cause I mean, we're, we're not all super smart as college soccer coaches, but we've watched enough soccer games or whatever sport to be able to track a number on a screen. Okay. Well then, uh, we, we talked that the, especially at the D3 level, there haven't been too many uh, specific changes other than your existing players. But I'm kind of curious, the, uh, has there been any conversation about academic issues, uh, given the importance of getting other, other monies potentially, and then the others, how, how are schools handling grading this, uh, this year, this semester? Uh, the taking the tests like ACT or SAT, yeah. any anything stand out for you at this point, or is it still a little early in that? Yeah, cycle? I mean, like I think one. And again, I, I I can't necessarily always read the tea leaves, but I think that one of the things that a lot of schools have already started going to, which I could see being increased over this time period, is less reliance on ACT and SAT. SAT scores for admittance and scholarships. Like a lot of schools recently have went to test optional where you don't even submit an ACT or SAT score and they base your admittance and your scholarship on your GPA. And so I know a lot of schools over the last four or five years, that's been a a route that they've gone. And I think that that's something that will probably continue to grow. I think it's, I think there's a lot of schools that, especially in the liberal arts realm, the division three world that might start to experience that because it's, uh, it's, it's just, it's a lot for a lot of schools. They view it as a better representation of what the kid is going to be like when they get here. If they have a 4.0, even though they might only have like an 18 ACT or like a 980 SAT, if they, if they prove every single day that they come in and they work hard and they do the work, that they, they might be able to be successful at a, at a liberal arts environment. The one way, or not the one way, there's a few ways that things have changed in terms of how we have done things since online grading. Um, one thing that's changed, I think, obviously, is that there is, I, I think, a little more leeway, especially because most of these kids have never taken online classes to what the academic standards are going to be over this time period. I don't think most schools are trying to make it more intense now that they went online, make them write more papers, make them take more tests. I think a lot of it is understanding that everyone's going through some really difficult times right now. Some families might be struggling financially. There's kids might be forced to go and work in fast food environments to help make money because dad got his hours cut or mom got her hours cut. And so I think that that's what a lot of schools is. I know at least our school has is where we've gotten a few emails from different department heads and saying like, Hey, cause I teach at the school and be like, make sure that we're not making this more difficult now that they're home. Let's make sure that we, we help these kids work through this situation because it's unprecedented. No one's ever has had to deal with anything like this in my lifetime before. And so I think that's, 
that's kind of the route they went academically, which I think is a good thing until we figure out everything that is happening because there's, I mean, it's, it's, it's really an unprecedented time for every college to pretty much be sent home for the semester outside of like one or two in the country. And I think for a lot of schools, they're doing a good job of like refunding the, the housing and stuff as well. I know our school is doing a lot of work to make sure that they're not having to pay for dorm rooms that they're not living in this semester and finding ways to make sure they get their money back or making sure that that money gets applied to next year. So it's, it's less money next year when they get back. And so there's definitely, and I know we're not the only school doing that. I think there's a lot of schools that are working in that way to make sure that the kids are, are finding, finding a way to get through this difficult time with their families and financially and everything that's coming with that. The, uh, a point I want to read. I want to mention while we uh, wrap this up, Nick, is the uh, your feedbacks coming as a, an experienced coach coming out of your space. You're also what I would call an organizer. You you have a uh, an active Twitter based chat effort that you do on a weekly basis, which is oriented towards coaches and gives you and those coaches a chance to compare notes on common themes yep yep exactly right? yep give me uh give me give our listeners a brief description of what you're doing for the coaches that are listening in that might want to participate yeah, no so me and uh my partner and i and i say my partner sean is definitely the person that is the the head of all of this he does such an incredible job he's an naia coach in kentucky right now and so we have three like two and a half three years ago we started what was called soccer chat and it's a Twitter chat every single Wednesday that if you type in the hashtag soccer chat at 830 central time, you'll you'll get an introduction. So you'll introduce yourself to the community. And what we'll do is we'll pose typically four to six questions and people will respond to that using the hashtag soccer chat. And what happens eventually is it's really kind of a cool scenario is you'll give a response and then a discussion will come off of your response. And and so you end up getting to talk to a lot of different coaches across divisions, across club, across high school, youth coaches. And we've, we've even had a few professional coaches pop on every once in a while. And we just talk about different soccer topics. And obviously, recently, it's related a lot to the coronavirus and how we're going to survive this and come out better on the other side, if possible. And so what we've done through this past few weeks is we've actually set up um, Zoom meetings that if you send us a direct message on soccer chat saying that you want to participate in one of the Zoom meetings, we'll send you an individualized link because Zoom tends to get hacked if you uh, if you post the link on uh, on Twitter for everyone to get on. But so we'll send you an individual Zoom meeting. And last week, I think on the college coaches one, at one point we had 49 coaches on the call. On the club one, I think Sean said they add up to 28. I'm not really a club coach. I, I wasn't on that one. And then we did like um, – like we did a, one for like top soccer and other special needs athletes, um, a few. And we had, I think, like 14, 15 or there. There are obviously a few less coaches that work with those populations, but no less important. And we've been using it as an opportunity to try to bring coaches together. I think for us with Soccer Chat, our big thing was me and Sean are no one special. Like I, Sean played at a JUCO and started coaching. I played at Division three and started coaching and and so we didn't really have a lot of connections. We didn't really know anyone. And so we started this as a way for coaches to get connected with one another and really across divisions. And so especially young coaches growing up or coaches that are just got into it, 
they'll have people that they can talk to. Like we have Becky Burley pops on who's the university of Florida coach and she'll help anyone with anything. She's incredible. Randy Waldrum, who used to go to Notre Dame and with the women's national team, but now coach over at Pitt. And so like you have all these people that really want to help everyone out to be better. And, and they'll like, they'll answer your questions and, and really just be a good resource. So for us, our whole goal with it was to take your average Joes like me and Sean and give those people an opportunity to meet and network with some incredible coaches. And we don't make any money off this. It's not something that like we're pulling in, we're pulling in money for, but it's one of those things where we we've really always just wanted to see if we can make the soccer community better around us. And we thought that like, we're not smart enough to run a tactical podcast. We're not like intelligent enough to do like psychology with it. The thing that we and Sean really like is talking to people. And so we, we always thought our best option would be to be the, the podcast that brings as many people together as possible. And so we have a podcast, a soccer, like a, a weekly chat on Wednesdays, and now we do weekly zoom calls. And so if you want to get in that, you can follow us at, at chat soccer on the chat soccer. It's spelled S O C C R because someone already had the full chat soccer thing out. But if you want to follow the hashtag, it's actually spelled full out. So it's hashtag soccer and then chat. And you can, even if you type it in now, you'd probably be able to go and find answers from the last few weeks and discussions that we've had and podcasts that we've had, because everyone's going through some stuff. We interviewed the Mac Murray coaches earlier last week and talked about like what it's like to be coaching at what a school that's closing and how to get players moving on. And if you can help their players out or them out in any way, please do They're They're going through just as much, if not more than a lot of us are. And so that's kind of a really long winded answer to a short thing. That's what we've been trying to build over the last two and a half years. And hopefully it continues to grow and people will continue to be, become part of the community and meet more incredible people. Me and Sean are definitely a bunch of nobodies, but if we could help you meet somebody, that would be, that would make our day. Well, thank you, Nick. I really appreciate your taking the time. I was happy when you reached out because of your efforts in the soccer chat area. I think it helps. Uh, it, it's helped probably, uh, give you a, a better rounded vision of what is happening out there, especially at yeah. your level, as you no. discussed. I, uh, and to summarize the conversation, I guess, for the sake of the kids, the message that came across for me is that, uh, you know, everybody recognizes this as a unique situation. There's no reason to be getting stressed out. The, uh, because the coaches and the schools recognize the unique circumstances the kids are underneath. And then secondly, the uh, everybody has time right now. And so the best use of that time is to reach out, start having some conversations, start looking to some of the summer ID camps that uh, hopefully we'll be able to get to uh, get pulled off. Have have some options. Yeah, open. no, and that's and I, I forget which coach said it the other day. So I'm going to paraphrase this and paraphrase this and probably butcher it. But it's to the seniors and juniors that are worried about finding the right spot or finding your scholarships. Like us as coaches, we're pretty okay at our jobs, and we'll definitely find you. We're going to work harder than ever because we still need to find the right fits for our program. And so, especially if you're working hard you're going to find a place for you because we're going to be working just as hard to make sure that you do. And so, yeah, like you said, don't give up, don't get discouraged, work hard and use this at time as an opportunity to reach out to coaches and be as active in the recruiting process as you've ever been. 
Thank you. This has been Coach Rizzo with Monmouth College in Monmouth, Illinois, a D3 program that competes in the uh, the Midwest Conference that includes Illinois, Wisconsin, and, and a group of Chicago schools. Thanks for taking your time and offering your Absolutely. thoughts. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Look for it on the website Perfect. Yep, I'll definitely share it on our end, too. Bye.